into a series, as I suggested last night, that has to do with our race to glory. And we're going to start this morning with how do you get started? And I think I may have suggested last night, I know I did not get a full start right out of the blocks. Speaking of blocks, you know what I'm talking about. The starting blocks, you've seen the runners, they get their feet, you know, in those blocks and they put their back end up and the gun goes off and boom, they're gone. I wish I could show it to you. I, got a, I downloaded a picture on my computer of a split second after the gun had gone off. Five runners, one guy is still in the blocks, another guy is this far, the guy closest to the camera was a full step or two out of the blocks. So the blocks getting started is incredibly important. Uh, one sports writer I read said it is the most important part of that short race. And when we come out of the blocks, the gospel has to be incredibly clear and we have to get it in all of its fullness. I want us to look today, I, I'm not gonna, I, I am pretty sure you guys didn't bring your Bibles, right? Don't feel guilty, it's camp or reunion or whatever you call this, okay? So, uh, but if you have a plastic Bible, uh, electric, you know, one of these, um, you could use it. Otherwise, you're good because you know this story. We're going to go to John chapter 4. What's the story? The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. This is a story of a woman that Jesus got into the blocks and out. And she came out a gold winner. And I want us to look today as to why. What did he tell her that you didn't get in your starting blocks gospel story? I didn't get it, all right? I mean, we got some of it. Okay, you're all saved, all right? <laughs> it's okay, you're not going to hell. Um, uh, you know, we all, we all are headed to heaven. I trust you are. I trust you believed in Christ the Messiah, and uh, you are on your way to heaven. But there are aspects to this story that Jesus builds into the starting blocks that I had never considered until my study of this in the last year or two, all right? So, but I'm not, we're not going to read the passage. It, it takes too long and you don't have your Bible in front of you anyway. But you know the story, all right? And so what I'd like to do is to review the story. This woman is our first eternity runner, so to speak. And so let's see what Jesus builds into her to help her understand how to finish this race with the gold, all right? There's a couple of things that he brings out. In fact, well, let's start with the context. Who is this woman? You can talk. This is like, you know, it's Saturday. You're not, you're not Seventh-day Baptist or anything like that. You can talk, all right? So uh, who is this woman? She's a Samaritan. What? What's the big deal about that? Who were Samaritans? They were from Samaria. Yeah, okay, right. You know, okay. Oh, my goodness. oh, boy, we got a tough audience. Um, okay, what, what is unique about the Samaritans from the Jews? Let's try that. Say it again. 
They are definitely in opposition. Why? What is unique about the Samaritans to the Jews? Were the Samaritans Jews? Half. Why is that a problem? What's wrong with being a half Jew? Well, let's put it this way. It was really important to be 100%. All right? I mean, you didn't have the divine goods unless you were. You didn't qualify for the race. You couldn't get in. You couldn't buy yourself in. And because you weren't one or the other, you, I mean, it's one thing to be a non-Jew and then to be a proselyte and practice the Hebrew faith. No, these are half Jews. And even to touch them as a Jew is to defile yourself, much less to drink out of their bucket. Oh, are you kidding? All right? Despised would be a right word. You know, where, where was Samaria? It's right in the middle. If you want to go to Galilee and you're in Judea, what do you have to do? You have to go around if you're a good Jew, right? And they all did. Except Jesus, and the passage is so fascinating. You've heard this, if you've heard this passage preached before, he had to go through Samaria. So, now, I want you to think a little bit about these disciple guys, all right? Do they like Samaritans? Nah, you know, they're kind of newbies, all right? They haven't really got... I'm, okay, yeah, the, the Messiah's called them, all that sort of thing. And, uh, and I, I think they're probably getting close. I don't know, this is kind of the beginning of the book, so maybe not. But anyway, uh, they're still trying to figure this thing out, all right? They don't like Samaritans. Now, the, script, the text doesn't say what they thought about Jesus saying, we've got to go through Samaria. I'll bet you they talked about it a little bit. But anyway, when they got there, what happened? Do you know, do you, can you think through chronologically? The disciples and Jesus show up at the well. What happens at that point? They See? They had no food. So what, what happens? They go to get food. Then what happens at the well? Jesus. The woman comes, all right? All right, I want you to think about this. At the end of the passage, Jesus is instructing the disciples, and he says to them, lift up your eyes and see. The fields are white to harvest. Actually, he starts with, don't say there are four more months to harvest. What's he talking about? Is he talking about Wheat or something that got ripe four months early? Now, what's he talking about? What is he having them look at? He's having them look at Samaritans streaming out of the city, all right? Which suggests, okay, this isn't in the text, but I want you to think about this. It suggests that they could perhaps see the city from the well. At least they could see at a distance, all right? 
Which got me thinking one day, when those disciples headed off down the path, and I, you know, I was a missionary in Africa, there is no such thing as a scenic route to anywhere. You take the one and only trail that gets you there. So when those, if this is true, it, when the disciples took off down the path, who did they meet coming to the well? They met the woman. And we all know the gentlemen that they were, they would have stepped aside, tipped their whatever they were wearing. Good morning, ma'am. Right? Wrong. Wrong, big time wrong. And this woman appropriately knew her place to get out of the way. They wouldn't touch her because that would defile them. But I can just imagine 12 guys talking about oh, another. It's not just a Samaritan. It's a woman. And, um, and she's by herself. Loser. I mean, big time loser. That's the context. Right? This woman comes to Jesus. Okay, now I, I know. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, you'll get back to biblical preaching when Jim preaches next Sunday. But, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I, I, um, uh, it's not in the text, but that context compels me. I know that these guys despise this woman because when you get to the end and they come back and they see Jesus talking to her, how would you describe them? Aghast? Yes, aghast, surprised as often. The in, uh, New English translation says shocked, and I think that's it. What? What? What are you doing? I mean, that's, that's what's going on. I don't know if we have an analogy to that uh, here. Um, okay? So that is the context. This woman comes to Jesus, and Jesus has the audacity to say, give me a drink. Now there's two things that Jesus needs to cover for this woman to come out of the block's well. One is a new definition of water. So let's run that one for a little bit, shall we? Okay, when he says give me to drink, what kind of water is he talking about? You can say it, drinking water. <laughs> it's okay, yeah, it's just basic, the stuff you got out here. He's talking about drinking water. Drinking water is all she knows. He introduces the idea of what? Living water, spiritual water. She probably, she doesn't know at this point that living water means spiritual water. She thinks it perhaps means flowing water because that's suggested in the word living, all right? Jesus says what? If you would have known who you're talking to, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. Hmm. Is she interested? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's in her mind? You mean there's a place I can go? 
that's better than the water than I can get here, that I don't have to go down perhaps 140 feet, they suggest that well was deep. Can you imagine a woman throwing that rope down and pulling that water out? How many times for her container? I don't know. Women in Africa could put like five gallons on their heads. I don't know. A lot of water, a lot of work. So living water, something easily accessible, I'll take it. But then he goes on to another kind of water. What is that? A well what? What's it doing? Remember the passage? It's springing up. What kind of a well is that? Did I hear somebody say artesian? Yeah. An artesian well. You don't have to draw it. It comes out of the ground by itself. Oh, I mean, this is the best idea in the world for a woman. You're kidding me. You know a place where I can find an artesian well? Yeah. Yeah. I do. And at some point, because this is wrapped into the second thing he's going to teach her, at some point she comes to understand at least that this man, not Jacob, who they highly esteemed, is the, is the source of a superior water. And that water springing up is who? The Holy Spirit. Yeah. Was that in your gospel presentation when the gospel was shared with you? Did you know, did you know that not only God cared greatly for you, but that you were separated from God because of your sin, and yet Christ by his incredible work on the cross, forgave your sin. And if you simply would accept that and believe that in your heart, you would receive the gift of eternal life. You knew that, right? I knew that. Did anybody talk to you about the artesian well? You see, I, I think there's a reason that we have athletes, spiritual athletes running the race who are seriously stunted or disabled. Because we get eternal life, the drinking, I mean the uh, living water, we get that. But we are not taught at the beginning that when you profess your faith in this Messiah, you get a way to live now. And you don't have to wait for heaven to live. <laughs> you get what John calls the abundant life. But how many Christians do you know? And I'm one of them. And some of you are too. You got saved. I mean, I got saved at four or five years old. I mean, I'm 50-whatever years. Let's see, 63. Yeah. Um, I'm way down the road. I did not live with the 
uh, the artesian whatever of the Holy Spirit until just some years ago. Realizing that my life today is vital because of the Spirit of God within me. I got the Spirit of Jesus. I can, excuse me, I can do, I can do the works of Jesus. I can do impossible things. You can do stuff like love that jerk you're married to. Okay? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Only some of you feel that way. <laughs> Some, some of you students, it's like, my parents? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. I mean, i got to figure out ways to get around them. All right? No. You can live in submission and obedience to your parents, not because of you and not because of the promise of heaven. It's because of the surging of the Spirit living through you. I'm going to say it. I may be theologically wrong. I think that's a missing element of the gospel. And we need to get it in the blocks. Some years ago, a, uh, a study was done, actually a survey, interviews, of 200 of the top Christian leaders in the U.S. These were the cream. So whatever names you want to think of, and I don't know, I think this was some years ago. So, um, But they were basically asked just two questions in these interviews. One, what's your vision for your ministry? <laughs> and every one of them, I mean, they were like, on and on and on. Oh, we're, we're planning to do that. We're dreaming about this. Oh, this area needs to be covered. Praise God. Uh, this is what's happening in our ministry. We're seeing people come to... It went on and on and on. And then they were asked, tell, tell us about your daily time with Jesus. And everyone except one fell silent. That one, <laughs> he said, oh, I wake up in the morning. I get out of bed. I, I get down on my knees. I raise my hands to God. I said, oh, God, you've given me another day to serve you. Praise you, Jesus. And he went on for 45 minutes about his spiritual habits, the things he does, the excitement of his, uh, the filling of the spirit within his life. And he wasn't even a charismatic. Okay? Any guesses who this man was? Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade. And that's true. I've heard his story. He loved Jesus, loved his word, and he got the filling of the Spirit. He wrote the little book on it. Remember that? The, we called it the bird <laughs> book, that little blue booklet, How to Be Filled by the Spirit. Is that possible for you? Is it possible that you've gotten heaven and you're satisfied with that? Hmm? So convicting on a Saturday morning. Oh. Maybe we better move on. There's a second thing that this woman gets. Oh man, we gotta go. Uh, coming out of the blocks, all right? 
The second thing that Jesus has to teach her is his identity. How does it start according to her? How does she address him? I'm sorry? No, that's, that's the second one. Good. Right at the very beginning, he asks her for a drink and... So, good. She identifies him as a Jew and calls him sir. She would call that to any man here. It's the designation, respectful designation of a man. She views this guy as any other man. All right? But you got it. All of a sudden, Jesus says, um, go call your husband. Remember that section? And she says, I don't have one. You got that right. You've had five, and the one you're living with is no longer, is not a husband. And she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. prophet. Ooh, now that's a pretty big upgrade. I mean, you go from man to prophet. That's, <laughs> I'm telling you, that's, uh, yeah, uh, anybody want to be in that cat? Yeah, I'd take that in a heartbeat. All right? But where does it go? Where does it go after that? Remember? Uh, she says something like, we know and understand that at some point in time, I'm paraphrasing, the Messiah will come. He will tell us everything. And Jesus says, I am, I am he. <gasps> what happens? I think the jar got dropped. Right there. I think things went silent. The disciples come back and they're astounded. They're stunned. The woman takes off. And then Jesus deals with the disciples because, see, they haven't got the full picture yet either. And that's when she goes to the village, the people come out. Jesus says, the fields are ripe to harvest. He's saying, are you ready, guys? We got work to do. The invitation comes, I'll jump through this quickly. The invitation comes for them to go to the city for two days. Can you imagine the dismay of those disciples? What? We gotta live with these guys? We gotta eat with these guys? Two days? What in the world are you gonna do for two days? You already got the Messiah thing done. Isn't that good enough? And that's not good enough. And it's another aspect of getting out of the blocks that I'll guarantee you didn't get in your gospel presentation. Because let me ask you this. What did Jesus teach for those two days? Did he teach them he was the Messiah? Say yes. Of course. You know, he was. The chosen one of God. But he taught them more than that. Actually, they tell us. You, it's right in the text. You just haven't seen it. At the end of the story, the people of Samaria, I mean of Sychar, address the woman and say, now we know for ourselves, not because of what you said, Everything he ever told me, he told me everything I ever did. We know for ourselves, this one is the savior of you only. 
or of the Jews only or of the Samaritans only. No, he did not teach them, I am your savior. I love that song. Oh, I am not skilled to understand what God hath willed, what God hath planned. I only know it. his right hand is one who is my savior. I love it. Is he your savior? Yes, he's your savior. He's y'all's savior, savior, if I can put it that way. But if you stop there, and if you don't have this built right in the blocks, you will never come to the fact of the conviction that you need to be reaching your neighbor and the world because he is not the savior of you and Washingtonians and Tacomanites or whatever you call yourselves. <laughs> Or where we're from, Elton. It's a yes, no, no. You have to understand he is the savior of the world. And with that right in the DNA of your start, you will never look at lost people the same. It's built into Jesus' gospel package right at the start. Why did the disciples need to see that? Because they had to know he's not just our cultural savior. He is the savior of the Samaritans. And you look closely, you'll see the world throughout the scriptures. If you haven't taken a perspectives class, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? <laughs> you have got, am I being an advocate for somebody? You have got to hear the story of God's passion for the nation starting in Genesis, all right? When we were in Congo and the refugees flooded in from the Rwanda genocide, about uh, 1.2 came across the border that was about six miles from us. And they flooded into our region. I mean, there was a refugee camp of at least two, maybe 300,000. Uh, just within a mile of our home. And uh, I'll never forget them streaming in as I, as I drove towards Goma, the, the town where they were coming from. Um, they, were, they were estimating 40,000 an hour with everything they owned on their heads just coming and coming and coming. And um, I thought, God, what can I do? I mean, I've not been trained. I don't know this language, Kinyarwanda. I do not know anybody from that part of the, that, uh, that neighboring country. Um, I don't have medical ability. I don't have counseling ability. I know nothing to do, and here I am, an American with resources. And Jesus whispered, the Jesus film. And we got a group of Congolese and Rwandese pastors, and we loaded up the stuff, all the equipment, and we went into what was the heart of where these guys were, because it was their command post, their former military was based there. It was an evangelism center, ironically. And we pulled up, and, well, we didn't pull up. Um, I hit a boy and thought I'd kill him. I told you that last night. That, that opportunity was over. 
right there as we were chased, gun drawn, safety clicked off, and I thought, I'm going to Jesus. God intervened. So the second time, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, folks, I'm really stupid. People, people like, I mean, this whole message doesn't make sense for many people because when, when you have the artesian well of the Spirit coming through you, he asks you to do things that make no sense at all. You know, like adopting kids when you're 60. That's stupid. I mean, it's stupid, you know? Um, and there's a lot of stupid leaders in this. You know. I mean, nobody does something like that, all right? Um, or going overseas into a war zone. What? You know, come on, we just deployed a couple to Albania just yesterday. Praise God, what a great place, full of Muslims, you know? And I'm sure those parents are praying their heads off for that young couple. Um, we went back in second time. And I'll never forget pulling in, setting up this screen, getting the projector started, and watching as hundreds, if not thousands, of dark faces were there. I remember the images flickering off the faces of these people as they drank this in and believed that that is Jesus right there. They don't know that's a movie. That is him. And at the end, 70 people came to Christ and most notably, the second in command, second in command of the former Rwandese army who said, this is the peace we need. See, he got the artesian well. He understood the Messiah. He understood there is no peace outside of Jesus Christ. So my challenge to you folks, if you came out of the block simply with eternal life, would you repent, come back, and ask God, for the filling of his spirit today. Understanding that the world needs Jesus and he is their savior, not just yours. And would you review what it means to follow him with all of your heart by the power of his spirit so that we could win this world for Jesus and have 600 people here next year year for just one example all right father thank you thank you for being our great god and savior thank you for jesus thank you for the model that he gave of the gospel for this hopelessly damaged woman whose life was such a mess and yet i lord i often think that's the people you're attracted to thank you Thank you that you give us this model. And Lord, I pray that as we reflect today on our walk with you, our race to glory, we would include these elements again into our lives. The power of the Spirit through us and you, the Savior of the world. In Christ's name, amen.